Thank you, Will. I was reminded uh, <clears throat> that tomorrow night at the Brackeens at 6 o'clock, there is a prayer meeting for all the high school kids for camp, particularly for camp. They're going to meet together and uh, they're going to have a time of prayer to pray for camp and all the things that are going on there. So if you're in the high school class and uh, you want to be part of that, you're more than welcome at 6 o'clock at uh, Stephen Nicole's, and uh, I'm sure they'd love to have you there. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn back to, oh, thank you. Turn back to Proverbs chapter 20. You remember last week we looked at some great principles that dealt with the judgment seat of Christ in relationship to basically two aspects, the crowns that we're going to get and the garment. And the Bible made it very clear in the book of Revelation in chapter 3 verse 11 that be careful that no man take your crown. And then in Revelation chapter 16 verse 15 that no man take thy garment. And we tied that into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It, we talked about the man, or in relationship, the Christian, who basically falls asleep and fails the Lord in his obligation in the final hours of New Testament Christianity. And uh, that's really what the whole thing is dealing with. We examined the concept of the lips with, uh, of wisdom and knowledge, whose value, the Bible says, is far above gold and rubies. And we talked about the standards of in life of values, and yet I looked at the true value. We talked about fool's gold, how that it looks like gold, but in reality it's, it's not real gold, and uh, it looks good, but it's absolutely worthless. And then the warnings. We talked about the warnings. Second John chapter 1, verse 8 says that uh, be careful that you, you, don't, you want to receive a full reward, everything that God has for you. We talked about our watch and how uh, we're, to, we're to take this stand in this last hours of the church age to do our work for God. That uh, as the apostles could not wait with him and fell asleep and could not watch with him in one hour, our hour is the 11th hour before the Lord comes back and we need to be awake and do what God wants us to do. You know, everybody knows, everybody knows that something is about to happen, even the world. Uh, I mean, we as Christians, are, we got the Bible, we know what's, what's coming online, but even the world, even the unsaved world knows that something's got to give, something is close to happening. Uh, you know, back in Chica- down in Chicago, they have what they call the Doomsday Clock, and it was started in 1947, right after Israel became a nation, which I think is pretty, uh, pretty interesting. And it's a 12-hour clock that the end of the world is supposed to happen at 12 o'clock midnight. And every event from 1947 up to the end of the world pushed it that much farther. And right now, right now, uh, we are two and a half minutes to midnight on that clock. And this clock is maintained by unsaved people who don't have any idea about the Bible or what God is doing or what He wants to do. But everybody knows that something is about to happen. And uh, we, as we talked about last week, need to be awake and aware and do what God calls us to do. This is not a time to fall asleep in your Christian life. I just want to tell you that. Now today I want to, I want to give you what I think is the ultimate uh, definitive verse uh, on our Christian life and our walk with God. If there was one simple answer to all our problems in life and the issues uh, that we struggle with, this would be it. I was kidding you. Well, I really wasn't kidding you, but I was talking Thursday night about I'm going to give you your magic verse. And I talked about that you could go home and Take all the verses off your refrigerator, all of them off your mirror, all your little three-by-five cards, toss them, throw them away. If you just want one verse, 
that's going to fix every problem you have. I have people call me all the time and say, can you give me a verse for this? Can you give me a verse for this? And I always tell them, look, there's not one verse that you can just apply across the board. Well, there is, and I'm going to give it to you today. The magic verse that will solve every problem in your life. The magic verse that the Bible talks about the sin that does so easily beset us, to hinder us, to run the race, to race for you and me against time. Uh, this verse will be the definitive on it, and uh, you know it will take us down to what I call the lowest common denominator of understanding the principle where it gets the bottom line, where it, it, you can't take any more from it. It's right there in front of you, and you have to take it the way it is. So if you ever wanted to ask, and many of you probably have, why? Why is this happening? Why does this person do this? Why does this situation exist? How does this happen? If you ever looked at a circumstance in a church or a Christian's life, or you ever looked at somebody who seemingly was doing good and doing great and then suddenly fall apart, or somebody who just can never get their life together, here's the answer. You're going to get it today. You're going to get everything that you need in this great verse, and uh, you picked a good day to come to church today because uh, you're going to get what you need. Now, allow me to read just two verses today. And uh, that's all the farther we're going to go, but uh, uh, these are two powerful verses. Proverbs chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. And uh, these two verses will literally change your life. Change your life uh, if you apply them and you look at it, and I hope you do today. Here's what it says. Bread of deceit is sweet to a man, but afterwards his mouth shall be filled with gravel. Every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice make war. Let's pray. Father, we ask you today to give us wisdom and insight into all that we're going to look at. We pray, Father, for each man and woman here, for each young kid here, that uh, the Word of God will do its work. The Holy Spirit of God will take it and permeate it into their hearts, that they'll come away today uh, understanding things in a greater way, in a better way, in a deeper way than they've ever had it before. We love you. We thank you for our time we've set aside. Bless it now and use it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, and the sake we ask it, amen. Now, as it stands in our passage here, this is the sluggard of last week. This is the man who would not work. This is the person who, who uh, gets his bread by deceit, by scamming others, by using others. And you know, we know from the world system, the world is full of that. All of us, or most of us, have probably got a phone call from the IRS guy who says that if you don't send me this amount of money uh, quickly, uh, we're going to we're going we're gonna to come in and arrest you and take everything you got. And, of course, people, they make millions of dollars doing that. And it's a scam. It's a scam. The guy will call you up. And it, it was always a thing to me when I talked to this guy. He always, had a, he always had a foreign accent. That was my first clue that he wasn't with the IRS. And, uh, you know, and so he, he comes to the place where he tells you that you've got uh, this outstanding debt and the IRS is going to come in and this is their last chance. And you've got to send them some money, and then they're going to make it all right. And, of course, uh, it's a scam. Uh, you go down, to, uh, you go down uh, to the plaza or go down there. You see all the people on the street corner with signs, help me, I'm homeless, you know, and all of this stuff. I noticed one thing about those guys. They all got better cell phones than I got. And I'll tell you what, anybody who knows anything know that's an organization. I think they're even, they got a union now. I mean, that, that's, that's where it's at. And they, they, that's a scam. And they, you know, you, they, they don't want to work. And it's easier to stand on a street corner and probably make more money than you make going to work. But that's just the way it is. 
We'll have people that will call uh, at churches and, and try to scam them out of money or out of food. Tell them we're up here from Georgia someplace and we're broken down and we need help. And I got three little kids. I had a guy one time call me and said he was stuck in a hotel room over here in Independence. And he's just going down the list of churches in the phone book. And he's talking about that he's got kids and he can't go to Walmart and needs somebody to go for him and, and somebody to come and pick him up and all these things. And then he gets upset when you don't just drop everything you're doing. And, of course, that's just the way it is in life. In the worldly scenario, it's every day. It's true. But I want to take it in a larger format than that. There's a bigger picture here. Last week we saw the judgment seat of Christ, and I told you that three things will get you in trouble at the judgment seat of Christ. And I want to add a fourth one today. We talked about this Thursday night, so I gave you a little lead time on it. First of all, I told you that the number one thing that will mess you up at the judgment seat of Christ is who you get married to. They, they will, it will make you or break you. The second thing is obviously who you associate with and who you hang out with. We've talked about that before. I told you last week also the third one is who you get your Bible from. Who do you allow to teach you and instruct you in the Word of God? And I'm going to add a fourth one today based on our text here in verse 17, and that'll be the bread of deceit. The Bible says it's likened to gravel in your mouth, a mouth full of gravel. You know, I, I wouldn't try this at home, but if you would go out in your driveway where if you have a gravel driveway and fill your mouth with gravel, you would find that you can't speak very well. And it tastes terrible. And yet, it, it, the, the illustration is here that someone who has the bread of deceit has gravel in their mouth. They don't speak the truth clearly. The, clear, the truth doesn't come out. It's all garbled. You'll never speak the truth clearly when, uh, when in your mouth is full of the bread of deceit. And of course, uh, like in the gravel, you need last week, the Bible said, the lips of knowledge that are a precious jewel. And uh, I told you in Malachi chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, there's a great verse there. It says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? Now that's a question. He's telling a bunch of priests in the Old Testament who are responsible for the care spiritually of the nation of Israel, that they despise his name. And they ask the question, wherein have we despised thy name? And his answer is in verse 7, you offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. There's bread of deceit. There's, there's bread that has been polluted. And for anybody that can't figure it out so far, what this verse is saying, when it says, what is thy name? Revelation chapter 19, verse 13 says, and thy name was the word of God. Polluted bread is the polluted Bibles that are out there today. That take away the truth out of God's word. The NIVs, the ASVs, and all the rest of them that have presented a polluted bread that God said in Israel's time polluted the table and polluted the sacrifices. You see, when you get polluted bread, a mouthful of gravel, what it produces then is whatever you do for the Lord is polluted. And it winds up polluting the fellowship of the table. That's the shoe bread that you had in the Old Testament. You think the Bible you have is a good one, when in fact it's been, you've been deceived, it's polluted. I've given it to you many, many times, the seven things that you lose when you lose your Bible. The seven missing elements of New Testament Christianity in the 20th, 21st century, according to the Bible. 
The first of all, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says that you lose your doctrine. And you lose doctrine, you're on your way down because now you have no clue what is right and what is wrong. The second thing is in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, uh, there's no work of God in you because there's no furnishings. The third one is in John chapter 14, verse 3. He says, if any man love me, he'll keep my word. You lose your love for God. Or you may love him on your terms, but you'll never love him on his terms. And that seems to be popular today. We all want to say we love God. Yeah, you want to love him on your terms. You want to love him on his terms. The fourth thing is that John chapter 4, verse 24. There's no worship of God now. The worship of God is gone. Uh, the, the fifth thing is found in John chapter 15, verse 7. When you lose the Word of God, your prayer life goes. And the sixth thing is in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, uh, you lose the power in preaching. So that's why today in churches across this country, there's no more preaching in the Word of God, just a bunch of teachers teaching nice things about the Bible. And then, of course, the seventh thing found in Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, is you lose your inheritance. Those are the seven things that you lose when you lose your Bible. Yet 99% of God's people have no clue that they have lost these things and they're deceived into thinking that they're okay. Like we talked about last week, a wagon full of fool's gold on their way to the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want to look at verse 18 now. And I want to focus on verse 18. And here's the key verse to everything in your Christian life. If you want a magic verse, if you want one verse that you can discard, and I'm obviously being facetious here, I'm not telling you or meaning for you to, but I'm saying you could if you wanted to. If you want just one verse to state, start your day off, that will do everything for you, here it is. This is it. Save your refrigerator space. Forget all the other verses. Just get one down. It's all you need. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18. And it says this, every purpose is established by counsel, and with good advice, make war. Now, that's the, that's the single verse to every issue that you're going to have in life. And I know, I know, it doesn't look like much. Allow me to broaden your horizons this morning. And I want to take this verse, and I want to look at it, and I want to show you four key words in this verse. Four key words, and along with these four things, I'm going to give you five things that I want you to write down because I know that most of you won't remember what I'm saying today. So I, as we come through here, I want to specifically point out five things that I want you to write down and just take with you here. But I want to talk about four key words that we want to look at to get this down. Now, the first word he says here is every purpose. Every purpose. You know what's wrong with most of God's people? They have no purpose in life. Oh, they think that going to work tomorrow morning and having children and, and doing all this stuff is a purpose in life. No, no, not if you're a Christian. We have a purpose in life as a child of God. And it's not your job. It's not your career. It's not your hobby. It's not what you like to do necessarily. God has a purpose for you, and he saves you for that purpose. In Christianity, the worst disaster that you'll ever see the worst disaster you'll ever find will be a child of God who has lost or does not understand or gets his life so screwed up that he loses his purpose. And now it's just for him or for her. Now it's what they want to do. Forget God, forget the ministry, forget this, forget that. I've lost my focus, I've lost my purpose, and now life is all about what I want. That's a disaster in the making. Last week, we talked about fast asleep on your watch. You know what that is? That's a person with no purpose. 
God's people will, will continually lose their focus. That's purpose. Purpose will be what you're focused on. Purpose will be what drives you in that focus. Purpose will be you knowing and understanding that God saved you for a reason. He gave you a purpose, and He wants you to fulfill that purpose. God's people will just continually, uh, continually lose their focus and get completely off track. Now, write the first thing down I want to give you. Here it is. I want you to go home with this. We're talking about purpose. Here it is. When you begin to lose your purpose, when you lose your purpose, when you lose your purpose as a Christian, you've just entered the door of the beginning of you losing everything. I want you to know that. Because you lose your purpose, it's only a matter of chain of events that's going to happen. Things that are going to begin to unfold, they're going to take you from worse to worse. And you're going to wind up going through the door. When you lose your purpose, you're now going through the door of losing everything in time. And you will. You will. Now, the next word I want you to look at here is the word established. Now, at some point in your life, at some point in your Christian life, you need to be established in the Word of God. Most Christians never get here. I, I've never understood it. Well, I do, but I don't, I don't necessarily believe it. I've never understood why a person can truly be saved and born again and claim to be a child of God and have such a disdain for the Word of God that they never pick it up, they never read it, they never study it. In my mind, from my Bible, I, I remember reading somewhere, and it may be just me making this up, that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. Once you get saved, your desires change. You know why? Because your purpose is to change. And when your purpose is changed, you realize now that, you know what? I need to be established in the Word of God. When you get established, it simply means that you now have uh, your purpose down. That's what it means. When you get established in the Word of God, it means you clearly understand your purpose. You know who you are in Christ. You know where you're going with Christ. And you know how you're going to get there. And nothing will take you off that. I've seen young men, young ladies get in fact where they begin to uh, get into the church, begin to get into the Bible, and then we've all seen it. Some old boyfriend will call on the phone or some old girlfriend will call on the phone and they completely lose their focus. You know why? Because they're not established. They have no purpose. They're not nailed down in what God wants them to do. They don't understand who they are. They don't understand what God has called them to do. Then at some point, through the Word of God and being established in it, you're going to need to be established in your New Testament local church as a child of God with a purpose. The church only grows through leadership. Men and women who get their purpose get established in the Word of God and then allow God through the Word of God to establish them in the work of the ministry that other people want to learn from them, want to grow through them. You'll find that in this particular church, and I can't speak for others, a host of people that people want to learn the Word of God from. Most churches are one-dimensional. You'll have the pastor, and he's probably not very good at it. 
but the multidimensional church will be someone who, where it's filled with men and women who can actually take the Word of God and do something because they've established them. I've had people, when I ask them if they want to be discipled, they ask for a particular person. They'll say, well, can so-and-so do this, or can she do this, or can he do this? I've had couples that come in with marital problems, and they'll say, can we get so-and-so to work with us? <clears throat> you know why they ask that? Because you're established. People say, you're not perfect. You have the same problems as everybody else, but you have a purpose in life. And you've been established in the Word of God, and you're established here. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we see the life and the development of Samuel as he goes into the ministry. And what a tremendous, what a tremendous example that is. And he says in 1 Samuel chapter 3, down at the end of the chapter, when he sums it all up, he says in verse 19, 20, and 21, he says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet for the Lord. God established him. God established him through the priesthood that he was involved in, and everybody in Israel knew who Samuel was. So, when God then called him to be the greatest, one of the greatest uh, uh, men in the Bible, uh, one of the greatest prophets in the Bible, when God called him, there wasn't any opposition to it. You know why? God already established him. You know where we get into opposition or you get into problems in your life? When you try to do something for the Lord that you establish yourself and God didn't establish you. Amen. That's where it comes in. And people get mad at me for that. You find in the New Testament. It's the difference between you establishing yourself and God establishing you. In the New Testament, we see Paul. Paul, we talked about it. Paul was established in Acts chapter 13. We see Timothy. Timothy was established in his church in Acts chapter 16. God established them through a biblical process. And I want you to know, the whole key to that thing in Samuel was the fact that he didn't let any of the words fall to the ground. He took everything that God said to heart. He took everything that God said and he, he did it. Now the third thing, third word here. He says that uh, by purpose, uh, let every word be established. And then he says by counsel. Now here's where, uh, here's where some things really come uh, in your life. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15 verse 22 says, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in a multitude of counselors, they are established. You ever have any disappointment in life? Everybody has. I mean, uh, there's disappointment in life in just about everything that we do. And you know, truly, when you understand your purpose and you're established in the Word of God and what God has called you to do, there really isn't any disappointment in your life, or there shouldn't be. Because you learn the great principle that all things work together for good to them that love God are called according to His purpose. How can there be disappointment in that? Now, I realize that you'll have people you try to work with, and many of you pour your life into people, and those people come up short, and you get disappointed. We all want to see them make it, but that's, that's the reality. That's just the reality of the ministry. Not everybody is going to make it. And when I work with somebody and that person uh, bails out and doesn't do what they need to do and goes back to the world, you know what? I don't necessarily get it back by day that it disappoint, I get disappointed in them. I just go around thanking God that, that, that I didn't bail out. I look around here and see all the ones of you who didn't bail out. Hey, it's going to happen. 
But the Bible says by counsel. He says without counsel, your purpose. Without counsel, your purpose is going to come to a disappointing end. But in the multitude of counselors, they're established. There's your two words, purpose and established. Notice how they build on each other. You get your purpose and you get established through right counsel. Verse, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14 says, Where no counselor is, the people fall. But a multitude of counselors, there is safety. Now, I got to say this. Now, this verse has been abused uh, uh, for, for years for people to justify going around to everybody and asking them what their, their advice or their opinion on their issue. Hey, I've got this problem. What do you think I ought to do? Oh, I got this problem. What do you think I ought to do? And they think that verse means that there's, there's safety in a multitude of counselors, that you go to a bunch of different people and get their opinion on what you should do, and then you just pick the one you want to do anyhow. It's not what it's talking about. You've got a Bible in front of you. That Bible was written by 66 authors. It's got 66 books in it. At the very get-go, you've got 66 counselors in that book that make up your multitude of counselors. Add to that all the characters in the Bible, David, Joshua, all the Moses, uh, Abraham. I mean, the, the list is endless. You got man after man after man after man and woman after woman after woman in that Bible that will give you the counsel where there's safety that you can get established truth. Now, that's the second thing I want you to write down. Now, you must establish truth in your life at some point. At some point, you must establish truth in your life. Quit living in a world that doesn't exist. Establish truth in your life. The Bible is a record of the cause and the effect of how to fix every problem that we get into by showing you hundreds of cases of failed purposes and then established purposes. Now, I want to tell you something. In any relationship, wherever it is, if wherever relationship, wherever it is, if there is no established truth, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. I deal with a lot of people. I have for over almost a half a century. And I've worked with them in all kinds of scenarios. And you know what I've said, and I've said it many, many times. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you did in life. I don't care the mistakes you made. I don't care how bad it was. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. All I care about is where you want to go from this point in your life forward. Amen. We all have a history. We all have past. We can dig up dirt in everybody's past if we wanted to. What is the point? Where do you want to go from here? Amen. That's the key. I only have one rule in dealing with people. I don't care what you've done. don't care what, whatever transpired. I have one rule. When we start to work together, never lie to me. Never tell me something that isn't true. Because the basis that we're going to try to help you with is going to be based on a book of truth. And without that book of truth, we have nothing to work with. And the moment you or anybody depart from the book of truth and start telling me something else that isn't true, we ain't got anything. And I'm out. I'm done. The only thing we can have with God that makes a difference is truth. In the world you live in, there is no truth. The government won't tell you the truth. I mean, your family won't tell you the truth. 
Sometimes your boss won't tell you the truth. I mean, there is no truth that's established. The only established truth that we have is in a book that you hold in your hand. That has to be the basis for everything. That has to be the basis. Truth is the fundamental concept by which everything has to work from. And in your life at some point, you have to establish truth in your life. You have to realize that truth is the bedrock of your relationship with God and your relationship with others. And if there is no truth, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. When I, when I teach the Bible, it would always be based on the absolute established truth that are based on the, the counselors of the Bible. I don't, I don't, I don't, my opinion is worthless. My personal preference is worthless. My likes or dislikes are worthless. They mean absolutely nothing alongside the 66 counselors in the Bible. They're the ones. And in dealing with people and their issues, I, I keep my emotions out of it. I have one passion in life, only one. It's truth. It's all I care about. All I care about is, is it true what you just said? All I care about, is it true? Is it truth? Are you and I established in this church in truth? That's all that matters. I had a guy one time got into sin in his life, and, uh, and uh, he, he, he got upset. You know how they do it. They always try to justify that it's your fault. And he said, you know what? He said, he said, I want you to know, I says, I'm going to leave the church. And he says, I'm going to go, I'm going to find another church. I said to him, you know, you don't need to find another church. You need to find another God. You need to find another Bible. Because you're not leaving because of anything that's done here. That's your scapegoat. You're leaving because you have violated a Bible principle set down by God, and you don't want to do it. So going to another church isn't going to fix your problem. You better get another religion. You better find a God who agrees with what you want to do. You better find a God who wants to go along with your sin. Because you're going to go to another church and hopefully the guy will preach the same message there and you're not going to like that. The problem is not where you're at in a church. The problem is where you're at in your sin. You better, better change some other things. But that's the world we live in today. Then the fourth thing he says he says, make war with good advice. Now, we're in a war. Amen. Bible talks about it. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about putting on the whole armor of God. It says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principalities and power. We're, we're against. We're, we're in a war. And I don't really think that most people understand this warfare. Over and over again, we're told to endure a hardness as the good soldier of Jesus Christ. We're told to, uh, you know, to uh, uh, do all of these things. And yet the warfare that you and I are in is not a physical battle, and it's not a battle necessarily with the world of flesh and the devil. You know where the real battle exists? It's the battle for your mind. We're going to camp in a month, and the battle over for that camp is going to be for these young minds. Every Sunday when I get up and preach, every Thursday night, the battle wages. It's not a wage of what you're going to do or what you're not going to do. It's a wage against what you're going to think in your mind and let your mind go to. That's the battle. It always has been. It's just that simple. And it's a battle for the mind. 
The Bible, 66 Counselors, is a book that is, is good, absolute, solid advice based on God's instructions to you on the issues of life we all face. And this solid advice, this good counsel, will come to us in the form of Bible principles. We talk about it all the time. Now, the third thing I want you to write down here. The Christian life should be a disciplined life. The Christian life should be a disciplined life because the Christian life should be a principled life. It's based on principles. You know, self-discipline just doesn't happen. You meet many people who are totally undisciplined. Fathers are undisciplined with their children. Parents or moms are undisciplined with their kids. And you find that uh, many times Christians are undisciplined with the Bible or undisciplined with their anything about Christianity. The Christian life should be a disciplined lifestyle. And the only way the Christian life can be a disciplined lifestyle is if it's a principled lifestyle. Self-discipline just doesn't happen. You don't wake up some morning and take the self-discipline pill. When you were born and grow up, you, some people didn't develop self-discipline, some people didn't. Now, I believe there's some things in life that can help you with self-discipline, but I want to tell you something. Self-discipline is something that you have to decide you're going to do for yourself. There used to be a thing where, you know, they would say, well, send a guy in the Army and that'll give him discipline. Well, not necessarily. I mean, if you've ever been in the Army, you know there's a lot of screwballs in the Army that all they do is get everybody else in trouble. Discipline didn't help them at all. I'm not saying being in a strict form of regimental discipline can help you if that's where you want to go. But your self-discipline just didn't happen. You know what? Most of you are educated here. All of you went to high school, grammar school. Many of you went to college. And you know, your education just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. In school, you had classes to prepare you for life. And you had teachers who taught those classes who instructed you. It was an ongoing training, teaching process. Your education, you're not able to speak and reason today and talk intelligently or know things just because it happened. You're not any more than self-discipline is something that just happens in your life. You went to a school where somebody taught you, trained you, disciplined you in learning, but at the top of that learning chain, there was one man, or in some cases a woman, and they were called the principal. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> Duh. They, that, that principal was the absolute enforcer of the rules and regulations to the school that everybody had to follow. And you know as well as I do, when you got in trouble and you got sent to the principal's office, you know you were in a mess. There was no higher chain of authority in the school that you went to than the principal. And in life, there's no higher chain of authority of self-discipline than, you, than the principal's. That you submit yourself to. Oh, I remember them days. You see, you kids, you don't have a clue. Back in my day, they paddled you. At every high school, they had a wood shop. And the first thing that shop teacher did, the first of the year, was make out a whole battery of paddles. 
he had a paddle for every rear end that was in that school. And sometimes they drilled holes in them. And that makes it even hurt more. And the most amazing thing, I remember this. I, re- I have nightmares about it. When somebody would get really a problem, they get sent to the primal, we knew they were going to get a whack. And they usually got three whacks. And it was really quiet in school. The halls, you could walk down there, you could hear the echo of your walking. And so the principal's office was always centrally located, and we'd all just know that so-and-so was down the print. We'd all be waiting. Not a, you, could, you could hear a pin drop. We were waiting for the crack. <laughs> and we went on and on. It's like being at a prison and being there for an execution. You knew it was coming. You just didn't know when the lights were going to dim through the switch. <laughs> we'd be listening. We'd be looking at each other. We'd be sweating bullets. And all of a sudden, you'd hear it, like a twenty-two rifle going off down that hallway. <laughs> Crack! 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 Now, I'm going to tell you something. Don't tell me that capital punishment is not a great deterrent to crime. Because <laughs> for this kid here, I never got to go to the principal's office. Praise the Lord. But you know why the reason why I didn't? I heard the cracks of everybody else's going down there, and I didn't want any part of it. But it was the principal. When you went down to the principal's office, there was no higher authority that could deal with you within that school system. And the principles of the Word of God are the highest authority that you can put in your life. It's just that simple. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 says, Wisdom, wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and with all thy getting, get understanding. Now, here's the fourth thing I want you to write down. Principles of the Word of God will lead to godly wisdom, which will lead to God's understanding, which will establish you in your purpose by good, solid advice. I'll say it again. Principles of the Word of God will lead to godly wisdom, which will lead to God's understanding in your life, which will establish you in your purpose by good, solid advice. Now, when I deal with you, I never, I never tell you what to do. That's not my job. I always give you the principles behind what you're doing, whether it's good or it's bad. And my life is, with dealing with you is just giving you options, giving you choices. You have to make it because you have to live them. I can't. Every child of God who is far from God and will lose his crown and will lose his or her garment, I want to tell you something. It all started just with one thing, violated principles. Because as I gave you the first thing to write down, when you violate the first principle, you're on your way to losing everything. Look at Hebrews chapter 5. Turn over there very quickly. Will you tie that for me? I can't bend over to do that. Hebrews chapter 5. Now I'll be able to get that off now. You double knotted it. Okay. I may be calling you this afternoon to help me get these shoes off. (laughs) Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. Watch it very carefully. For when the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, you know what? What is wrong with some of God's people? Why aren't you teaching somebody? How long have you been saved? Really? Well, I got people in this church been saved three or four years, and they're teaching people. I got some who've been saved a year or less, and they're teaching people. You know what he says here? I mean, he's asking a question. 
For when, uh, for when, for, uh, for when, for the time ye ought to be teachers, and ye have, uh, you have need to teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and become as such as have need of milk and not strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belong to them that are full of age, even them by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. He says the first principles of the oracles of God. Now, what is that? Well, for here, when you come in and you want to begin to grow in the Word of God, what do we do first? Discipleship one. We talk about salvation and eternal security. Lesson two talks about the ordinance of the church. We'll talk about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God and prayer. We'll talk about the will of God versus the plan of God in your life. We'll talk about the importance of the New Testament local church. We'll talk about your responsibility to giving to God. We'll talk about the judgment seat of Christ. Those are the first principles of the oracles of God. That's where you start. Then we have discipleship too. Seven things that change about you. It's the next level up, but again, it's the basic first Principles of the oracles of God. It lays the foundation of principles in your life that you're going to build on. And I know the seven things that change, but I'll tell you internally and how it affects you, I'll tell you what changed the day you got saved, the seven things. First thing that changed was your purpose. And then the second thing, once your purpose changed, was your passion changed. Once your purpose and your passion changes, then your whole perspective changes. Once your purpose and your passion and your protective changes, then, then your, your patience changes. Then when those four things happen, there's an effect on the inner man. When it does its work, it'll affect the outer man, and praise God, all these things change the end of man. You're not going to hell anymore, you're going to heaven. Verse 13 and 14, milk versus meat. Somebody that's full of age. By reason of use. You know how you grow in the Word of God? You know how you build principles in your life? I can give you the ten principles and the seven in discipleship too. But you know how you build other principles in your life? By reason of using what we give you. You'll never grow faster than when you start taking what God has given you and you teach somebody else. And people get an attitude about things in the, in the church, in, in Christianity. And they, they think that they're right and justified in their attitude. But you know what? All you do is deceive yourself because you never get any purpose in life. You never get any, any, any wisdom in life. And all you do is go through life and you never exercise your senses. It's no wonder some of you are hooked up with people that you can't figure out what they're doing wrong, that it's really wrong. It's no wonder that some of you get hung up with people out there and you have to scratch your head and say, well, I don't know. I don't know if they're right or the church is right. You know what your problem is? You have no ability to discern good and evil. You have no discernment on it. You're caught in the middle. You have no clue what's right and what's wrong when it comes to the standard of the Word of God. Why? you got no purpose. There's nothing you're doing in your life that of teaching anybody that will exercise you that you can say, oh, that's wrong, that's right. You have no discernment. Your senses are dormant. They're not being exercised. And what do we do? But a time you ought to be teachers, nobody have to teach again. I know some people have been discipled so many times, if you look in a dictionary, there are pictures there. 
Milk versus meat. What is it for you? Milk versus meat. There has to come some time that you establish yourself in the Word of God. And it will establish you in the church. And people will know that you have a purpose. And they'll come for you for good advice, for counsel. And you won't give them your own personal opinion. You're running back to the 66 counselors of the Bible. Now here, look right here in Hebrews 5. Look at Hebrews 6.1. Here's somebody who leaves the principles. Therefore, because what he just said in 5. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on under perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, or the doctrine of baptisms, or the laying on of hands, or the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now we've got a great definition here. Now we know that principles in the Bible are the doctrines of the Bible. You see it? Leaving therefore the principles of the doctrine of Christ. Now we've got a piece of the puzzle that's even better. Now we know that the principles that you get in the Word of God are the doctrines of the Bible. A, a Christian will have a purpose in life, and that purpose needs to be established. And that purpose can only be established through the principles of the wisdom and understanding that will form the baseline of good counsel and good solid advice to wage your spiritual warfare that is against your mind, what you think. And every problem a man or a woman, Christian man or woman, ever got into started with what you thought versus what God's Word said. And it's history. The Bible in its lowest form and common denominator is simply God's opinion and viewpoint in everything in life. Your job and my job is real simple. Make my viewpoint his viewpoint. Dump the rest. Now, I got to tell you, without a doubt, this is the hardest thing to do in our Christian life. I get it. And it will only happen when we finally come to the end of self. You know what the end of self is? You do really know? We talk about, well, you got to get broken. You got to come to the end of the self. You know what the end of self is? The end of self is simply you realizing that your way is the wrong way. Amen. That's the end of self. That's not very theological. Won't sell many books, but it's great truth. People will dump God's word and follow their feelings. People will dump God's word and follow their heart. People will dump God's word and follow their emotions. People will dump God's word and follow bad advice. People will dump God's word for everything instead of just following verse 6, 17 and 18 in your life it'll, and take a strong, self-disciplined stand in your life. Uh, it, it's the only thing you can do. And you'll notice around here I'm always pointing out the principles. I don't care if it's institute. I don't care if it's people ministry. I don't care if it's Sunday morning or Thursday night. I'm always showing you the principles. I'm so principled in the thing that we, we over the years, we, you know, we, we talked about, here's, here's, here's a book we have in a bookstore, 24 Principles of Finding a Spouse, based on Genesis chapter 24. Principles. We got one here, Principles of Marriage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We got one here, a library of biblical principles. Tells you everything you want to know about what principles are. You know why? Because around here, principles are everything. It's all we do. That's all we do. Bible principles are the bedrock of the foundation of the Christian life. If you'll ever establish yourself, if you're ever going to find your purpose, it's going to be done by the, by the principles of the Word of God. Now, allow me to give you some of the common ones that we all struggle with. Just for playing them in a few minutes here. We already talked about choosing a husband or a wife. I told you how important that is to the judgment seat of Christ. 
Genesis chapter 24 lays out the principles. How many people ever pay attention to the principles? No, you look at her, she looks at you. You're, she's beautiful, you're halfway decent, and she's hard up, and the rest is history. It doesn't matter what they think about the Word of God. doesn't matter what they care about God. doesn't matter. You let your emotions and your passion dictate over the principles. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Biggest issue around today. And yet in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 18 principles on it. 18 principles that you need to get down. Your children, hundreds of principles. Oh, here's one I get all the time. You have a job and you get laid off or your job, you, get, you get off your job or you get fired or something happens and they shut you down let you go. And you get two or three job offers. And people have called me on the phone and says, which one do I choose? There's principles for that in the Bible. There's principles for that in the Bible. I had a guy one time years ago call me up and he says, Bobby says, it looks like I'm moving to St. Louis. And I said, oh, really? And he said, oh, I'm going to hate to lose you. He says, yeah. He says, my job folded up. And he says, uh, they offered me a job in St. Louis and uh, another company and it was more money. And I really didn't know what to do, so I just prayed about it and put it in God's hands. And, and, uh, and uh, so, therefore, uh, uh, God answered my prayer, and I'm going to move to St. Louis. And I said, oh, i got to ask this. I said, you gave it to God. How did God answer your prayer? He said, well, he said, I put my house up for sale, and I told the Lord if he wanted me to go to St. Louis, go ahead and sell my house. And if the house didn't sell, I wouldn't move to St. Louis. Now, that sounds good. There's only one hitch. This kid forgot that the devil had his realtor's license. You know why God will never operate that way? You know why? And I know this is hard for some of you to grasp. You know why when you do something like that, God won't be a million miles around it and the devil will be all over it? You know why? Because already God already gave you a set of principles in the Word of God how to deal with something like that. You had old Gideon down there one time. Gideon said, well, Lord, you want me to go do this? God said, I want you to go do this, Gideon. This is what I want you to do, and I'm going to give you a great victory. Gideon said, okay, Lord, praise the Lord. And then when it came down to do it, he says, well, Lord, he says, I'm going to put this fleece out and do this with the fleece. And God did it. And then he said, well, I'm going to do it again. And he put the fleece out and God did it. And then he went and fought the battle. You know what? When you study Gideon's life out the end, he winds up in idolatry. He winds up in idolatry. And you know what the great moral lesson is? Gideon didn't need to put out the fleece one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. You know why he didn't need to test God what God wanted him to do? God already told him what he wanted him to do. You know why you don't have to go through that stupid stuff of, well, I'm going to put my house up for a sale. If God sells it, then I'll know that's of God. No, the devil will sell it. And you'll make a mess out of your life. You know why? It's already here how to deal with that. Now, I, God takes pity on us. He does. Praise the Lord for that. Amen. Thank you. He prayed for, for all of us. He takes pity on us. But I'm going to tell you something he's not going to do. He's not going to look at you and me and my stupidity when he's given me a book that I haven't read and I haven't studied and I make some dumb move like that and God's not going to come down and say, well, because he's stupid, I'm going to violate my own principle and help him out. He ain't going to do that. You're going to wind up in St. Louis, you're going to make a mess out of your life, and you're going to lose what God had for you because God already gave you the principle on it. He's not going to come down and redefine it for you again. He expects you to learn the Bible. Somebody says, well, I'm looking for a church. You'll find a paper, in the paper, a big church section on the cross that says, go to the church of your choice. Don't ever do that. Amen. Don't ever go to the church of your choice. Don't ever go someplace where they, they, they tell you what you want to hear. Don't go to any church where the pastor doesn't tick you off about twice a week. That's what you're looking for. You want somebody to get in your face and tell you the truth because your whole life, my whole life is built on non-truth. At some point in your life, you need to have somebody tell you the truth. 
You may not like it, but that's okay. Just take it. I have a lot of people tell me things I don't like. Somebody says, the prince, how to start a church. We looked at it, Acts chapter 11 through 13. Uh, here's a good one. How in your life do you know when God is in something or when he's not? That's, a, that's one you got to get all the time. How do you know in your life when something happens, if God is in it or God isn't? Here's the answer. God never violates his own principles. But you got to know the principles. you got to know the principles. got to know them. Who here wants to learn principles? Okay. Who here wants to learn principles? Who wants to learn them? Okay, good deal. Here we go. I'm going to do a good deed here. Did you raise your hand? You did? Yes. I don't think you did. <laughs> you sure? Who, who else wants to wait? Okay. okay. You know more principles than I do. You have that book? Can I give it to somebody else? <laughs> He's a principled man right here. Because he got a principled woman. <laughs> he does. He does. He does. He does. I'll tell you another one. Most of you are all saved here this morning. What principles do you use to measure your spiritual growth? Do you measure it all? I mean, we all, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but we all see uh, people who get retarded growth and they don't grow. They have to get growth hormones or something like that. I preached one time, the greatest blessing of my life, I preached one time at a convention for midgets. I did. I got a standing ovation and didn't even know it. How do you measure your spiritual growth? Can you? Do you know where to go in that Bible to find out, are you growing? You know, you know, you like that, didn't you, Footsie, huh? Footsie, he'll be using that all week long. You know what? We go through our Christian life, and just like your physical life, you grow up and you don't even know it. The only time you know it is when your shoes don't fit anymore or your, your legs hang out the bottom of your pants because they're too short. But you don't stand there every day and see your growth. And it's the same way spiritually. You have to have some way to measure your growth. If we would go home by my home in Ohio on 1451 Alton Avenue, I remember it very well. The kitchen there had a door that went down, and I don't know if you could still see it, but my dad had marked along that door from the time I was about three or four years old. He, every year he'd have me stand there and he'd put a, with his pocket knife, he'd put a, cut a hole in that little thing. And it was all the way up to the day I left in the Army. And if I would go back there right now, you know what I'd see in that house? I'd see a lot of memories. I'd see a house that, that I grew up in. But you know when I'd look at that door? I'd see the fact that Bob Alexander grew from here, he grew from there. You know what's wrong with us as Christians? You don't have any standard to show you, did you grow from here or from there? So in most cases, you just stay right here. There's principles in that Bible, six of them. Six principles that will absolutely measure your spiritual growth. I mean, come on. You want to learn the Bible? Okay. Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 5 is where you start. There's six things there on learning the Bible. Here's a good one. I get calls all the time. Well, my, my father is in, is in the hospital, and he's dying, and he's on life support. And uh, the doctors say that he's brain dead and there's nothing they can do. We hear about it all the time in the news. Here's a woman who's been in a coma for 28 years or whatever. And, she's, and, and she's, everybody says she's dead. And the family just cannot. And I get called. When do you pull the plug? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. 
You think God would let you make that hard decision by yourself? Do you really? Now, it's not your fault that you've been reading something else. Do you really think that, that that terrible tragedy of life that you would have to face, that he'd just say, go ahead and do that? Just do whatever you want. I don't really know what to tell you about that. Figure it out on your own. And I've had people say, well, I prayed about it, I prayed about it, and I prayed about it, and I just can't get any peace. You'll never get any peace praying about it. You know why? I already gave you the principle on it. You know what is a waste of time for you and for me? You're not going to like this, but I'm going to tell you. You go ahead and write this down too. This is not one of my five, but it'll give you six. You know what's really a waste of time? You and me praying for things and asking God to give us an answer when he's already put the principle in the word of God that has the answer. See, you think you can shortcut by not studying the Bible and then you get in a jam you just throw your prayer up to God and he'll say, okay, here it is. It didn't work that way. He'll sit there with arms crossed and a mouth shut and just keep looking at the book. That's where the answers are. Not his fault you don't want to learn it. Prayer. One of the three infirmities in the Bible. You know those principles on prayer? I've had people all the time, and I've got to be honest, I've had people all my life talk about it, and it's usually, and there are some good people to do it, but it's usually the Pharisees. They'll come up and they'll say, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm fasting. <laughs> well, you just blew it because the Bible says you're not supposed to tell anybody when you're fasting. They, I'm fasting. Oh, you're so spiritual. Well, I'm fasting, so a guy had a guy one time, he says, well, he says, in my spiritual gift, I have the gift of humility. I said, no, you had the gift of humility. You just lost it. But I'm telling you, fasting in the Bible is defined by principles. I've never met anybody in the last 15, 20 years of my life who fasted or ever did it biblically. But they don't care. You think I want to go through all that stuff and not eat for nothing? There better be a purpose to it. You want to deal with people when they're issues? Romans 14 and 15. That's the, that's the principles on it. Dealing with issues within a church, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. What the Bible does for you, basically the four things, 2 Timothy chapter 3, there's the principles. Uh, who you associate with, we talked about it a while back, a mixed multitude, went into it in great detail. Getting into the ministry, seven absolutes that every young man needs to know about the ministry. They're in the Bible. When your child uh, is ready for salvation, how many times I think, well, I think he's getting close. I think he's getting this, or I think she's getting ready. You know what? Bible gives you in Romans chapter 7 every principle you need to know exactly where the time is. There's seven laws in the Bible. Seven absolute laws that everything in the universe physically and spiritually runs by. You violate the laws, you pay the price. The principle is about spending, spending our money. You know, you only have so much emotion to give out. And we waste it so many times. I told you Thursday night how that you get on some movie and it's sad and you cry and you weep and all this or somebody on reality TV, you know, does this or does that and you cry. I know we've all been there. When I was five years old and I went to see Davy Crockett in the Alamo with Fess Parker, when he got killed at the end, I cried for four days. <laughs> Fess Parker was over at the bank cashing his check. I get it. I understand. But you know what? We'll spend our emotions on those things and there's people around you and your neighborhood and you work with that are dying and going to hell. You don't shed a tear over them. Don't tell me about it. You know what governs those things? Principles. You know how to govern your emotions? Principles. You know how to keep your emotions in check so you don't get out of balance and get it someplace else to take you from the purpose of God? Principles. Hey, this one verse will do it for you, man. If you just get up every morning and realize that your purpose in life is going to be established by good counsel, your problems are over. <laughs> You're done, man. You don't have one problem at all. 
And it's safe to say that every issue we have will start with not following the principles. God's advice and God's good counsel out of the Word of God versus our own. Now let me show you something. Turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. This is amazing. I've never given you this before, but I'm going to give it to you now. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, this has been called in chapter 1, uh, the cycle of life. You have 28 issues of life laid out for you as far as when you or when you will not do these things. 28 issues in chapter 3 that are the issues of life that every one of us will face. Every issue in life that you're going to get involved in will be found in these 28 things. And when you investigate these 28 things through the Bible, they start and go to one definitive verse that defines them as the principle to it. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says, To everything there is a season, and a time, here it comes, to every purpose. When you have a purpose in life, these are the things that come in the seasons of your life. And there's four seasons in your life. When you're a young child, that's the springtime. You get older in adulthood, that's your summer. You get into fall, you get a little older. My age, I'm in the, I'm in the fall of my life. When you get it really up there, aged, then that's the wintertime of your life. I mean, everybody. So he says to everything, there's a season. There's a season to your life. And in your life, there's a time to every purpose. And here they are, 28 of them. Now, the first thing he says here is a time to be born. And a verse on that will be Job 5, 7. Then he'll say there's a time to die. And the definitive on that will be Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Whenever I preach a funeral, if you noticed, I always preach out of Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. Now, I'm not fighting it, but most preachers will go every place else in the Bible and put some little silly thing together. And that's fine if that's what you want to do. But I'm principled, you see. I know, that, I know that Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 1 through 3 is the definitive passage on somebody dying. So if I'm going to get the most out of what I'm going to say to get it to them, I'm going to pick the best passage God would have picked if he was going to preach it. That's me. I can't speak for you. Then he says there's a time to plant. That'll be Isaiah chapter 18, verse 9. He said there's a time to pluck up. That'll be Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. He said there's a time to kill. That'll be, that'll be, uh, that'll be Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Or when your wife asks you, do I look fat in this dress? And you give the wrong answer. <laughs> There's a time to heal. That'll be Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. There's a time to break down and a time to build up. That's Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10 in both cases. You know, when you're in your life, there's time that you need to break down some things and there's time that you need to build up. When you come into this church, there's some things that you've got to do. You know what the hard preaching does? Good hard preaching, good advice from the principles. It'll break down the things out of your life that don't need to be there, and then it'll build up the things in your life that need to be there. That's the principle. He said there's a time to weep, Psalm 126, verse 6. And 126, verse 6 is the definitive on weeping in the Bible. It isn't over some reality TV show or Dorothy trying to get to the land of Oz. It's with people lost without Christ. He said there's a time to laugh. That'll be Psalm 126, 2. And Proverbs 1, verse 26. There's a time to mourn. That'll be Luke chapter 19, verse 43. There's a time to dance. 
That'll be 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 14, and Exodus chapter 15, verse 20. He says there's a time to cast away stones. That'll be 2 Kings 3, verse 25. And then he says there's a time to gather stones. That'll be Genesis chapter 31, verse 46, and Joshua chapter 4, verse 3. Everything, all of these are the issues of life that you struggle with. Oh, here's two good ones. There's a time to embrace. Don't get too excited now because the next one is there's a time to refrain from embracing. Pucker up. Now, I, I, I know you're all excited now because there's somebody in here you want to kiss. But let me just tell you something. When it says a time to embrace, John 17, 17, uh, that what you need to embrace as a Christian first is truth. When you embrace truth first, you won't have a problem embracing the wrong things. And there's a time from embracing. That's Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7. Did you ever see that passage? The passage there is a guy who is a goofy guy. The Bible calls him a simple guy without knowledge and understanding. And he's walking down the streets of a city, and there's a hooker on the street corner. And, uh, you know, he's never been to the big city before, never been around w- women like that. And uh, she, she marks him immediately as somebody she can take advantage of. So the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7 that this strange woman and this kid who is, who is a simple guy who is void of understanding. I mean, he's walking down the street. He's not paying attention to anything. She catches him. And with her face, this is called body language, by the way. She's got her face all painted up. She's got her eyelashes on. She's got all things. She thinks very high of herself. She's got a cute face. She thinks she's got a great body and everything. So she looks at this guy and she says, Hi. I paid my vows. She's a religious hooker. I paid my vows. I've been to church Sunday. I paid my vows. Why don't we come and make love till sort of the morning and make love till in the morning? Second coming of Christ. And he falls for it. And the Bible says she kills him. See? There's a time to embrace. That would be truth. There's a time to refrain from embracing. That would be the wrong things. Those are the two examples in the Bible. And those stupid little guys just fall for it all the time. All the time. Okay, he says there's a time to get. And there's a time to lose. That'll be 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The judgment seat of Christ. That'll be your time to get, but unfortunately it'll be time for some of you to lose. There's a time to keep. We talked about that last week. Revelation 3, 8 says you're to keep your crowns. And Revelation 16, 15 says you're to keep your garments. There's a time to keep. Then there's a time to cast away, Isaiah chapter 31, verse 7. There are some things in our lives we need to cast away at times and not keep them. Matthew, he says there's a time to rend. That's Matthew chapter 21, verse 51. Then it says there's a time to sow, like sowing clothes, S-E-W. That'll be Proverbs chapter 31. You know what that's dealing with? The fundamental principle there is moms ought to be making clothing for their children so they'll have something to wear at the judgment seat of Christ. And right now you ought to be sowing your garments ready to be put on at the judgment seat of Christ instead of thinking you're going to go to Sears and buy it on the way up. I grew up and I got to see the, all the different changes of people's clothes. If you stay, I want to tell you, if you keep your clothes in the closet long enough, the style will come back in. I'm waiting for leisure suits to come back in. My favorite, no, my favorite suit growing up was a seersucker suit. Who knows what a seersucker suit is? Anybody know? Bless your heart. 
A sheer sucker suit. Shears had a sale and I was the sucker. <laughs> They're never coming back. I put them out on the street and the people, they won't even take them. Down on the, down on, anyway, never mind that. <laughs> you better be making some clothes because there's a time to sew. There's a time to keep silent. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly. That's a great principle. And then there's a time to speak. Proverbs chapter 26 verse 5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly. And you better know when the difference is. You know how you know the difference? Principles. There's a time to love. Don't get excited. Psalms 119 verse 97, Oh, how I love thy law. That's my meditation all today. You love the word of God first. And then it says there's a time to hate. That's Psalms 139 verse 22. You say, well, I'm a Christian and I love God. Really? Give me the seven things in the Bible that God loves. How are you going to love God when you don't even know what He loves? And then on top of that, there's seven things that He hates. There's a time for war. That'll be Revelation chapter 19, second coming of Christ. And then the last one is a time for peace. That'll be Revelation chapter 20. That's the millennial reign of Christ. Now see, everything that you're going to face in life is found in these 28 things. And that's why the Bible says, that's why the Bible says over there that to everything there is a season. Your life is going to go through four seasons and there's a time and every purpose under heaven. There's a purpose in your life and there's something that you're going to have to deal with in that purpose. And here's the 28 things that are going to come up in your life. And the principles of the Word of God will clearly lay out and show us how to make our way through these things and come out on the other side with the victory. Now, here's the last thing I want you to write down. Here's number five. Really, it's number six, but here it is. The key to the victorious Christian life will simply be a principled life. It's not complicated. There'll be no seminar where you have to buy the tape for $500 and study for the rest of your life on a victorious Christian life. It's real simple. You can throw every other verse away that we've got. Because every purpose is established by counsel and with good advice make war. If you put that one principle in your life and you make everything in your life a purpose and you get established by God's counsel and you get good advice and you're making war, you will never have a problem in your life that you can't deal with. The key to a victorious Christian life will simply be a principled life. Putting God's opinion over our opinion in anything, that, in any matter. And as I stated, this requires self-discipline. It requires you to have the ability that you're going to take every purpose and see that God has a purpose for you in this life, that you need to be established in the Word of God by counsel, the principles, and then getting the good advice from the counselors, the Word of God, that's how you make your war. And that war is against your mind. That war is against what you think versus what God thinks. Your opinion over His opinion. Your association with people when they do wrong versus what the Bible says that they should not have done which was right. And you being able to discern versus good and evil. It comes down to that. That's the key. You know, in reality, and I know I was being facetious with you when I said it, but in reality, the only verse that you need that will fix everything in your life is this one. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 18. You know, uh, it will get you to do the number one thing. I have people come in all the time and they have issues. And sometimes their issues are very complicated. And I know as well as you know, one of the principles of dealing with people is when you've got problems in your life, it takes you a lot longer to get out of a mess than it took you to get in the mess. That's just a solid principle. And I'll have them come in and I want to help them, you know, and sometimes 
all I can do is just give them a ray of hope that there's a plan here that we can do some things. But I always try to, I, they, they always ask me. They'll lay it out, and sometimes they're, sometimes they're not too bad. Sometimes they're easy to fix. Many times they're really complicated. Many times they've now got uh, all just all kinds of issues in it. And uh, they always, always ask me the same thing. They always say, you know, is there anything that, you, that we can do? What do you think? I, I just need to get out from under all of this. And I know that there's no way that I'm going to be able to fix that in one session. I know it's going to take some time. But I always tell them, there's one thing you can do right now. Really, there's two things you can do right now. Right now, tonight, in spite of all your issues, in spite of all your problems, there's two things you can do. The first thing you need to do is stop listening to yourself and start listening to the Word of God. And the second thing that you need to do that will begin to reverse the process Quit making bad choices. Stop making bad choices. If you will stop making bad choices, then the bad choice bucket is going to be empty sooner or later. And now you just start to reverse the process, but you just keep adding bad choices onto other bad choices, and you're never going to get out of it. It's like getting $60,000 on your credit card. You're never going to pay it off. You may have all the intentions of the world to pay it off, but the, the interest is going to eat you alive, and for the rest of your life, you're going to be paying on that credit card, and it's never going to get paid off because all you're paying is the interest, and the principal is not going down. And I want to tell you something. When you make, continue to make bad choices in your life, and you try to work with it, and you keep making bad choices, you just keep paying the interest, compounding the interest, and the principal, the real issue, never gets solved. There comes a point in your life when you have to stop making bad choices. And you do that by getting a principled life. You do that by realizing that every purpose, and God has a purpose for you and for me, but it has to be established by counsel and with good advice. The Word of God, that's how you make your war. And the warfare, again, the warfare. It's not somebody out here or somebody over here or the Roman Catholic Church or the Illuminati or this or that. The warfare, the battle, and the war is the war with your mind. What God says over what you're going to do. Bible says give no place to the devil. Place is latitude. The distance that you give the devil to work in your life is simply this. When the Bible says give no place to the devil, here's what it means. The place that you give the devil to get into your life is the distance between what God says and what you do with it. When they line up, there is no distance, no way to get in. When you don't line them up, he'll get in. As my old grandmother used to say, you give the devil 12 inches and he'll become the ruler. And he will. He'll take over everything in your life. And it has to come back to a self-disciplined, principled life. It, it's hard to do, but it'll never get done unless you start doing it. And you start where you can. And you know what you stop? You stop making bad choices. Stop right now. I'm not going to make another bad choice that isn't lined up with the principle. And if I don't know what the principles are, before I do it, I'm going to find somebody that can take me to the Word of God and show me. That's the key. Well, keep the other verses on your refrigerator. Take this one home with you. It'll solve every problem you got. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. We thank you for the time today.